0: Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is John, I'm the executive pastor here at Anchor, uh, which means usually I get to hang out here on a Sundays, but sometimes I'm across town at our Lincoln congregation, helping out there. We're doing some stuff with our online congregation as well, there's some of you watching on the live stream right now. Uh, and we are here for week two of our four-fold series, where we're taking four looks at the person of Jesus, and today we are talking about Jesus as a sanctifier. So we're talking about this concept called sanctification. That is a mouthful of a word, um, and I'm sorry for that. I remember I grew up in church. Uh, Where are the people who grew up in church? You grew up in church like me? Okay. Where are the people who didn't grow up in church? Okay, where are the people who don't raise their hands? Okay, a couple of you, great. Um, but I grew up in church, and like sanctification was probably the go-to word we would always use when we we're making fun of churches, or these overly churchy words that don't make sense sometimes to uh, even those of us inside the church. And so if you're new to church and you're here, like my apologies to you uh, that sometimes the church uses really complicated words that we use poorly or don't explain. Like, that, that happens, and, I, and I'm sorry. And sometimes I don't even understand those words. Like, a friend of mine in college would say this. He's like, man, John, that was just a really sanctifying experience. I was like, what do you, what do you mean by that? He's like, you know what I mean. I was like, I don't. I, I don't know what you mean. He's like, it was just really sanctifying. Can, you want to elaborate? No. Okay. Um, the dictionary definition of the word sanctification, if you look it up, it says set apart, which is actually really, really close to the biblical definition of it. That's how you know the church made up a word, is that when the Bible definition and the dictionary definition are basically the same, you're like, cool, the church did that. Um, and so it is a really, really churchy word. Um, but this concept of being set apart or becoming set apart and becoming more like Jesus in a set apart way is really important. And it's a unique concept. It's a concept that is unique to Christianity, and so I get why the church coined its own term for it. As one of the beauties, I think, of kind of churchy language is that as confusing as it can be when it's not explained or when it's used poorly, it's actually incredibly beautiful when it's used in the right context, and it can give great depth and meaning to our relationship with Jesus. So as we talk about sanctification today, I hope you're able to see some of the depth and beauty of that word. And so for today, as we're in this fourfold series, we're looking at sanctification through the lens of Jesus, his teachings, and his actions. This idea of Jesus is actually someone who sanctifies us or works in our lives to have us be set apart. But before we get too far, we have to talk about Jesus, Like, I think Jesus is the most compelling figure in history, but he's not just that. I actually believe this, that deep down in all of our hearts and souls, we are longing for a connection with Jesus. This is not a unique concept. Uh, Philosophers have been discussing this for a long time. Uh, Pascal probably has the most famous quotes on this, where in one of his writings, Pascal said this, that all of us have a God-sized hole in our heart that we are trying to fill. And that when we fill it with other things besides God, we end up dissatisfied. I think all of us have had an experience where we were pushing and striving for something or we had filled a need with something and then we got to the end or we got to a certain point of time and we realized this isn't what I thought it was. So even if you're new here, you're new to Jesus, I actually think this, that even you, all of us, have this God-sized hole in our hearts that we are trying to fill. And Pascal and and other philosophers and and theologians would talk about that saying yes to Jesus or acknowledging Jesus as Savior is a way of filling that hole. And I think that's true. But I also think it doesn't go quite far enough sometimes. I actually believe this, that sanctification or this desire to grow, to learn, to do more is a part of filling that hole as well. I think humanity is wired for growth. Humanity is wired for growth. There would not be hundreds of thousands of self-help books if we weren't. But why are there thousands, hundreds and thousands of self-help books? Why are there all these different fads, these different journeys that we can go down that ultimately leave us dissatisfied? I think it's this, that when even in our growth and our personal strivings and yearnings and learnings, that we are trying to reach for something and we don't know what we're reaching for. Because we're trying to fill that God-sized hole in our heart with our growth and our maturity and our growing, but we're forgetting that it's Jesus that we're actually trying to grow and be like that God-sized hole in our heart. And so I think this, that if you don't know Jesus, you can grow and improve and make yourself better as much as you want. You can find self-actualization. You can find self-improvement. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a dissatisfaction. I felt that. If we're not growing and yearning to be more like Jesus. That's why we're in this series taking different looks at Jesus, because I believe this, that not only is he, like I said, the single most compelling figure in history, but I believe that he is the most vital person right here, right now, for every single one of us. So the text that we're in today, because right whenever we get up here and teach, we always talk about a text from the Bible that we believe is God's word to us. The text that we're going to be in today is in the book of John. Uh, It's in John chapter 15, and we're going to take a snapshot of a moment where Jesus was teaching. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, open it up to John 15, verse 1, and we'll also have it on the screen behind me. It says this, Jesus is talking here. It says, I, Jesus, am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Feels counterintuitive, right? I'm not a gardener. But, like, this is how it works, right? Like, this is how growing things work. Sometimes we get cut back in order to be more fruitful in the future. You are already clean because of the word I, Jesus, have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. That's worth underlining, right? Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. There's a lot going on here, but we have Jesus using this illustration that he is the vine, we are the branches, God is the master gardener who cares for us, and that Jesus and God have this idea that out of our faithfulness to God and Jesus, we will see lasting fruit right? And so this process of growth is really sanctification. And so today we're going to talk about three kind of stages of sanctification. We're going to spend a lot of time on the second one. Uh, But the first stage is this. Sanctification happens first when we say yes to Jesus. When we say yes to Jesus. Now, Pastor Susan did a great job of talking about this last week. In verse 3 of John 15, it says this, we are already clean because of the word Jesus has spoken to us. You see, we, we have everything that we need through Jesus and the words he has spoken us to be clean in the eyes of God. And if that language is unfamiliar, a, a breakdown of it is this, is that all of us are broken. All of us make mistakes. All of us are imperfect. And normally those imperfections would mar or blemish our character. But when we say yes to Jesus and the gift of salvation and freedom that he offers us, we are clean in the eyes of God. And again, we talked about that last week, but it's important to say this, that I actually believe that the process of saying yes to Jesus is actually a process of sanctification as well. Because when we're saying yes to Jesus, it means we're saying no to doing things on our own. And that's hard. Like we are, we're Americans, right, by and large in this room. Like we have this, this history of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, being independent, doing these things on our own. So the idea that we would need a savior is sometimes hard for us to acknowledge. But we do have to acknowledge that we need saving and that we can't do life on our own. Like we will mess it up. In the church, you'll often hear the phrase, you need to die to yourself or you need to be less so that Jesus can be greater. And these are great sayings that sometimes can get misconstrued. So we're gonna stay here for a second. I think it's really important for you to hear this. You are not too much for God. Like, you are not too much for Jesus. This idea of you becoming less so that Jesus can be greater, it's talking about independence, not our character and our our personality. Like, God does not want us to become less in this homogenous, monochromatic, cult like fashion. That's not what He wants for us. God says that I have made you fearfully and wonderfully, and you were made on purpose for a purpose. And the things that excite you that the other people think are weird, like, God loves that. Like God doesn't want you to hide your personality away when you say yes to Jesus. He's actually, I want you to live into to the fullest because I've said life and life to the fullest. And so yes, we need to surrender our selfish desires. Yes, we need to surrender our need to find things my way and be the one that's right because Jesus is right, not me a lot of the time. But God wants you to live into the unique gifts that he has given you, the unique character traits that you have. God wants you to lean into that. God doesn't want less of you. He actually wants more of you. And so that's so important. So once we said yes to Jesus, though, that sanctification, and this is the big stage of sanctification we're going to talk about most today, which is this. It is work right now. It is work right now. John 15, 4 says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And the stage of work right now, so that we can bear fruit right now, right, as the passage says, is the stage that we are most aware of. It's the one that we are most conscious of from the moment we say yes to Jesus and know that there is work still to do to the moment that our time here comes to an end. And for all of us, our time here will come to an end. It's a core tenet of our belief. And so this everyday work that we do once we said yes to Jesus in order to grow and become more like Jesus is really important, but it is indeed work. I don't like that. Like, I don't like that there's still work to do in this relationship with Jesus. I'm like, no, I said yes to Jesus. Can it be good? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a former gifted kid. Any other of my former gifted kids in the room? Okay, okay. Some of you raise your hands. Others are like, I don't want to raise my hand because you wonder if I met your expectations. I feel that. Um... <laughs> like school was really easy for me with minimal effort and I want all of life to be like that and man it just isn't because school isn't real life uh, middle schoolers if you're struggling with school please know it's not like real life it's you're gonna be fine um, but like I, I want life to be the same way where I can put a minimal effort I can do the right things and it, it'll be okay and I don't actually have to work hard Uh, Last time I preached up here, I talked about how in college I was studying music and I sat down with one of the greatest musicians in my field, a once in a lifetime opportunity and I said, how did you get so good? And the feeling of sadness as I walked away from that conversation, having heard no new information, there was no cool trick that I didn't know, there was no shortcut, it was just how much work is John willing to put in? See, a lot of times when we run into problems, it's not a lack of information, it's lack of action. And that's what's causing that, that headway. And whether we like it or not, the reality is this, that every single one of us, me, you, everyone, has work to do still. And all of us have moments where we don't think we have work to do still. Maybe we're tired, maybe we're exhausted, maybe we're arrogant, I don't, whatever it is. All of us have moments. And if you have moments like I do, where you think you don't have work to do still, uh, we have characters in the Bible that we have a lot in common with. And those characters in the Bible that we have a lot in common with when we think we don't have work to do are the people that Jesus delighted in making uncomfortable. But Jesus loved to make certain people uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. I think a lot of times, especially for those of you who raised your hand, you said, I grew up in the church. We have this picture of Jesus that we grew up with. I can see him on the flannel board in the 90s church I grew up in. Um, He looks like my ancestors, even though Jesus didn't. Um, He's holding a sheep. He is nice. He is kind. He is loving. He's not offensive. He doesn't say anything. He never gets angry. Um, And there are loving, warm, comforting aspects of Jesus, but that is not the entirety of Jesus' character. Jesus said some incredibly harsh things. He was incredibly kind and loving, especially to those for whom life had been the hardest on. But Jesus said some harsh things. The rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, I have learned everything in the Bible. I have followed all of your commands. What do I need to do to get to heaven? He said, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walked away. So jesus It wasn't necessarily about the money, but Jesus focused on the one thing the guy didn't want to do. The one thing that he said, I want control over this. I want to grow the way I think I should grow, Jesus. He goes, not, not on my terms. There are people who approach Jesus like the rich young ruler and said, what does it take to follow him? And one guy comes up to him and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but uh, a relative just died. Let me go bury them. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. That's awkward. <laughs> Jesus said to another person that same passage, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. He said to one of his closest friends and and followers, get behind me, Satan. This is not a be like Jesus moment, just for the record. Don't say that to your friends. Um, (laughs) When a religious person who is an expert in the law said, Jesus, what do I need to do to go to heaven? He says, what does the law say? The guy said, love my neighbor as yourself. But who is my neighbor? Jesus Jesus took an opportunity to tell this very religious person who had done all the right things a story about racial bias in the Good Samaritan. He said, you think you've done everything you need to do? I think you've actually closed people off because of the color of their skin or the country that they're from and you need to work on that. He said, you think you've done everything? Well, this person that you think could only do evil because of their background, they actually are the hero in this story. We're so uncomfortable with this aspect of Jesus sometimes. I am. I think it's a lot of times why we have such a hard time growing in our relationship with Jesus. Is that we would rather be comfortable and come up with crazy excuses than allow Jesus to do the hard work needed to refine us. One of the best examples I've seen of this is a few years ago uh, on Instagram, there's a profile created called Preachers and Sneakers. Um, and what it did is it took photos of large, prominent, popular pastors and their very expensive clothing, usually shoes and sneakers, um, and just put dollar amounts next to them. Um, I loved it, partly because I wear the same pair of off um, dirty white shoes every week. Um, but I thought it was so fascinating the responses. And not necessarily even from the pastors, but from people who were looking to these pastors. I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with money. Okay. All right. Like, well, it was, it was a gift and it would be rude to, to sell that gift and give that money to the church or to charity. Would it be rude or would it just mean that they don't get gifts anymore and they like that? Well, Jesus was okay with the church and money. Well, he flipped tables and told people to sell all they had and give it to the poor. And not once did we see someone come forward and say, you know what, here's the deal. I'm a well-known person. I like money. I'm struggling with how to dress well for people that God has called me to reach. And I'm struggling here. We didn't see that. We saw these excuses. We saw these comments. We saw all these crazy explanations where it's like, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. Jesus didn't really say that. And if that sounds familiar to you, that's because that's the first lie that humanity ever fell for. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are talking with a serpent, he says, did did God really say that? Because so often it's easier to convince ourselves that maybe God didn't really say that than to get uncomfortable and vulnerable. It's so easy. I do that. I don't know what that is for you. It could be money. It could be race. It could be community. It could be something different. But there's probably something that you're like, well, I don't know if Jesus said that to me. I just think, what if he did? What would it mean for us? You see, when we refuse to acknowledge that we also have work to do, that's where we get the allegation that the church is full of hypocrites. Like, why do people say the church is full of hypocrites? Well, it's because we say you have work to do and I don't. That feels feels like a fair critique when we do that. There's a, a, a friend of mine who, was a pastor I worked with, and he would talk, he told me this story. He was one time preaching about how we all have blind spots and we need to lean into community and Jesus to find those. And a, and a guy came up to him after the message and he said this. He goes, well, yeah, I, I think we all have blind spots, but I know what mine are. <laughs> like, you're not a car that you can walk around. Like, you, it's a blind spot because you can't see it. But we do that, right? Like we do that. We're like, well, yeah, you know, I know I have trouble with money, but like I never have any issues with race. Like I I don't ever have any issues with that. I I know I kind of need some work in this, but that's it. Those are all the areas I need fixing. Like that's not how life works. That's not how blind spots work. We need to be in community. We need to be open to Jesus to say, no, here's something you didn't know about yourself and it's gonna hurt, but you're gonna grow from this. A lot of times when we say we don't have work to do, I think we're probably saying one of two other things. Either I don't know how to do that work or I don't want to do that work. Two weeks ago, I said both of those word for word in a counseling session. (laughs) Uh, Back in January, Anchor announced that, and this offer still stands, that we wanted to pay for the first three sessions of counseling for anyone could be an anchor person could be a community person could be anyone just to help help people get started in their journey to better mental health and i've been recommending counseling to people for like 6 years and never doing it myself so okay fine like we'll we'll just do this and man it's been life changing like it's really really cool but i was sitting in this counseling session with my counselor a couple weeks ago and i told him that something happened and it just set me off my game mentally for like 4 days i was like this keeps happening I was like, I want it to stop happening. I want to stop being that spirally when this happens. But I don't know where to start, right? I don't know how to do the work. And he and I had a great 45-minute conversation about how to do the work. And he laid out a really good plan. And at the end of it, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I was like, Bill, you're right. (laughs) Like, that would work. I just don't want to do that. And he's like, cool, I respect that. But just know that not only are you going to keep spiraling every time that happens, but it's actually going to happen more often if you don't do that work. So it's up to you, John. Um, So I'm closer to saying I want to do the work. Uh, (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) Um, So I get it, right? I get that saying that we're unfinished is hard. I get that saying that there's still work to be done is hard. And some of you have come through so much. You have come through so much hurt and abuse and neglect and things that should never happen to you as kids. And you're here and you're going, what do you mean I still have work to do? And if that's you, if you felt that frustration, like I hear that, I get that. But but I promise you this, that that work is worth it. See, in John 15, not only does it say that there is work right now, but it says there is fruit right now. The type of work that we do in sanctification, it's really important to know this, that the type of work in sanctification is not actually us doing the work, it's Jesus doing the work. Like, we're along for the ride. And so a lot of times when we say we're doing the work of sanctification, what that really means is that we are opening ourselves up and allowing Jesus to do the work in our lives that only he can do. And so that work of opening ourselves up is kind of, we we can put it in two different categories. The first is what we call process work. Some of you just fell asleep because I said process work and it sounded like a financial report. Um, Some of you got really excited though. And so you're my people to get coffee with later. Um, (laughs) But I think this that the process work is the things that we do on a regular basis to allow ourselves to be open to Jesus, changing our life and saying, here are the areas you need to grow or be sanctified in. One is this is prayer, like spending intentional time in prayer. Another is this, is that reading the Bible in a way that's personal. Why do I say in a way that's personal? Because it's really easy to read the Bible like it's a book report. Like it is really easy to study scripture and still keep it at arm's length from your heart. There are people throughout all of history who know the Bible better than I do and don't know Jesus. Like you can, you can do Bible studies. You can do exegetical questions. You can do all these deep dives into Scripture and not have it mean a single thing for your heart. And if I'm being honest, I think sometimes in the church, when we've been in church for a while, we do that on purpose. That we would say, "No, I really need, Pastor. I really need an in-depth Bible study because I'm not just getting the depth in these group guides. Are you not getting the depth, or are you not giving the depth? Because I've been that person." I've been that person that says, like, I actually don't want to get personal. I would rather study harder. Again, right? Former gifted kid. I'd rather study harder than say, like, there's work in my life that I can do. So will you do this? Will you open the Bible and ask, God, what do you have to say to me right now from this? Jesus, what are you telling me today? Regularly searching your soul, asking personal questions as we pray and read the Bible—that is the work of sanctification. Something else is really important: that we need to actually go out and do things. We need to experience things beyond our normal day to day. If we're like, "Man, John, I'm just not growing," well, are you doing anything different? No. Okay. <laughs> Try. And I know that sometimes that's hard. We have all these things in our schedules and and we sometimes mismanage our priorities and and I get all that, but try one thing, whether it's jumping on a serve team. Maybe you're saying, whole and holy sounds a little bit weird, but I know I need to grow, so I'm gonna show up at that. And I don't show up at evening church things. Awesome. We'd love to have you there. I think it's gonna be a really cool night where we dive into more of this topic. I think this, when we do those things, we have those personal experiences, not only do we grow in the work right now we're doing, we see fruit right now. There's another kind of work, right? So we have process work in sanctification. We also have what we call crisis work. Y'all did the same thing the last gathering did. It got really quiet when I said crisis. Uh, So we're going to tell a lighthearted story because that helps us process this. Uh, A few months ago, my wife Rose decided to build a play fort for our children. Um, It came from wanting to have a garden. She's just awesome with this garden in our front yard. At Anger, we talk about this idea of being front porch people. And so she wanted a play space for our kids in the front yard. And there was nothing available online that fit her vision of what she wanted for the play fort for the kids. And so she's like, I think we should build something. And my first response was like, our marriage gets on the rocks when we build Ikea furniture together. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But okay. <laughs> like, we are I don't know. I've been doing counseling. We're in a season of saying yes, it's fine. Um, so she went on to Etsy and she bought plans and then she texted our neighbor to bring over tools, because he's a general contractor, so he knows what he's doing. And the guy, in just the most neighborly way, dropped off 10 tools, seven of which I think could maim me if I wasn't careful. Um, and I was like, are there instructions? No? Nope? Okay, here we go. Um, and so we went into it. And Rose roasted like, almost all this which is just so cool. I love her so much and, and her desire to do this and build this for our kids. And there are process work things that Rose did to build this play fort. Right? She, she got the, the supply list. She went to Lowe's and bought all the lumber. She made the cut. She did the measuring, all those types of things. But there are also crisis work moments on this play fort, guys. We have never mixed concrete before. <laughs> the guides are not great. <laughs> and there are moments where you go, is that, is that the right consistency? Well, now it's like water, and it's pouring, and we're we're a whole, So, like, we hit a crisis point with the concrete, but we figured it out. Uh, there are moments where we looked at the plans and we go, the railing in these plans does not seem to obey any of the laws of gravity or balance <laughs> that I understand. So, what do we do next? Uh, the stairs was a was an odyssey, a crisis moment where Rose would come in and go. I just, I don't know what I'm doing. This is too hard. Maybe we should like I. We're just stuck. We have this half-finished thing in the front yard, right? So we have committed and we had to finish it. And guys, there is a special kind of fruit and joy that comes from finishing something that caused you a crisis. There there are moments now where we get to sit outside in the evening with a chilled beverage of choice in our hands and look at the play for it and go like, we built that. See, now it's we built it because I helped a little. Um, (laughs) There's these moments of like, I can't believe we actually did it. And we get to see the fruit of it. We get to see our neighbor's kids come over and play with it. We get to see our, our kids' friends come and play with it with them. And we get to see our kids be out there and interact with our neighbors in this really like picturesque moment that we just love. Our kids yell and scream, so that's not so picturesque. But like that moment's cool that we get to have with them. And guys, there are moments in actual real, it's not a real crisis. Like there are moments in real crises that you get to see this too. When we lean in to Jesus in moments of crises, it grows us in ways that we can never imagine. My wife and I had a different crisis about a year into our marriage when she was diagnosed with severe depression and it just set us completely off kilter. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to deal with it. So we did what we thought we could or maybe could do. We leaned into our church and to Jesus. And on the other side of it, guys, I've seen so much fruit from that. Our marriage is so strong because of that time. And because of that growth, well, that's, that's fruit right now. Our kids are growing up in a healthy environment where dad talks about counseling and they know it's okay to talk about their feelings. That's fruit right now. The, the young adults that I've talked to who've experienced similar things to, to Rose or to I, and they've seen hope and a future and, and triumph down the road, like that's fruit right now. Guys, when we work through crises and we trust Jesus with it, he lets us see fruit right now and it is so worth doing. So if you're here and you came in like five minutes late on purpose, you sat towards the back of the room and and hoped that no one would see you and you're gonna kind of leave during the last song because you're barely holding on because you're in a crisis moment, I see you and I've been there. I need you to know that Jesus is here he says you are not alone, and he's going to get you through this, and you will see fruit on the other side of it, I promise. We get to see this. <laughs> Sanctification is this weird thing where it feels so unattainable, right? Saying we're trying to become like Jesus, but we will never reach being Jesus feels like this like Sisyphean task. I mean, For those of you who don't don't know the Greek story, um, Sisyphus was was a Greek character who cheated death twice and for punishment, Zeus doomed him for eternity to push a boulder up a hill. And right when it would get to the top of the hill, it would fall back down. I think in my lowest moments and sometimes my medium moments, sanctification feels like that. But it's not for three really important reasons. The first is this, is that while there is work right now, there is fruit right now. Okay, we're not on the same hillside. It's a long journey in the same direction. We get to see our ups. We get to see our downs. We get to see that we're not just going over the same path time and time again. We get to look back and go, oh, hey, God did that. Oh, hey, God got me through that. Oh, hey, right now as I'm working hard, I get to see my children benefit from the hard work that I did in the past and I'm doing right now, and they're going to have a better future. That's what we want for our kids, right? So that's one, we get to see the progress that we've done. We get to see the fruit right now. Secondly, it's so important here. Jesus is not this Zeus-like figure on top of the hill mocking us. Jesus died on a hill for us. And that is such a significant difference. We can't ever lose sight of it. He's not on the hill mocking us. He died on the hill for us. Not only that, but after he died and three days later rose again from the dead, he made a promise to us, which is this, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. How cool is that? Jesus died on the hill for us and then he got back down on the hill with us and is pushing that rock with us. How cool is that? The third thing, the reason why it's different than that tragic Greek story, is that while there is fruit right now, we get to finish it later. Jesus promises this, that, that right now, the fruit that we're seeing right now, where he says this, that, that your joy may be complete, that's not going to happen on this side of heaven. Our joy will never be complete on this side of heaven. That's so important to remember. Because we think our joy is supposed to be complete on this side of heaven. Man, that's demotivating. I just get bummed out. I'm like, is this all there is? The world's pretty broken. But Jesus says this. He says, sanctification is finished in the future. John 15, 11, your joy may be complete. That's why Jesus does this. This isn't the finish line. There is a moment a day will come when there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body for our souls. And the really cool thing, that God-sized hole in our souls that we've been trying to fill, that's the moment it'll be finally filled in. That's the moment it'll finally be complete. That's the moment that Jesus says, sanctification is done, you are like Jesus. And we get to look to that someday what we remember with communion is that promise. As the band sings this song, we're gonna have an opportunity for you guys to come to the front or the back of the room and, and partake in communion. And communion is available here for anyone who said yes to Jesus, even if today is the first day that you said yes to Jesus. Also available during this time, we're gonna have, have people that are wanting to pray for you. They're gonna be at both these black walls in the front of the room. Maybe you need prayer because you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus today. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you and have this be the first day of the rest of your life no longer trying to do things on your own. Maybe you need prayer because you're saying I need prayer to have courage to do the process work of sanctification. I need courage to open myself up. I need courage to open the Bible and actually open my heart at the same time. Maybe here though you need prayer because you're saying I'm in a crisis moment and I don't see the end line. It doesn't look like there's an end of the light at the end of the town just looks like it's blocked off and I need someone to pray with me so I know I'm not alone. We would love to pray with you today. Will you guys stand with me as we, as we pray and go into this time of, of song and communion and prayer? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who, who came and died for that brokenness. We thank you that he rose again three days later. We thank you for the freedom, the believing in that offers us in this life and eternity. God, we thank you that you say, well, there is work right now that you, Jesus, are a firm foundation that we can build our lives on you and that you are with us in the process and in the crisis. God, above all else, we thank you for the future hope that you have offered to every single one of us. God, I pray this, that if there's anyone here who's struggling, that they wouldn't leave without praying with someone else. It could be someone at one of the prayer stations, it could be someone in their row, but God, that they wouldn't leave without praying with someone else. God, I thank you that your design is for us to never be alone and that you promise that you are with us to the very end. In your name, amen.